You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. You can grab a Bible and open it to the Gospel of Luke. If you're not familiar with your Bible, the Gospel of Luke is in the New Testament. That means it's toward the back. If you don't own a Bible and you would like a Bible, we have some Bibles back at the Connect table. They're free. That's our gift to you. Feel free to grab one of those. I'll give you guys some time to turn to Luke chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have the verses on the screen for you guys this evening. Merry Christmas. That's my friend Max. He's in the front row. We might have to have him escorted if those outbursts continue throughout this time. But Max, good to see you. Merry Christmas. Excited to be with you guys this evening. I recognize we have kiddos in here, and so it's going to be more difficult to pay attention, and parents are oftentimes worried about their kiddos being a distraction. I'm okay with it. Let's roll with, the, let's roll with it. It's Christmas Eve. We get to worship together. So kiddos, here's what I need you to do. I have a couple of our elders around the room, and they're going to go around, and they're going to hand out a candy cane. Now, don't open the candy cane yet. Don't eat the candy cane yet. Just hold it and listen to some further instructions, okay? So Ronnie's right here. Jake's right here. If you are 10 and under, raise your hand and we'll get you a candy cane. This doesn't mean we don't love you if you're 10 and older. It just means we want to give the littles a candy cane first. So 10 and under, 10 and under. Young man, I guarantee you, you are not 10 years old and under. (laughs) Is DC here this evening? My Irish brother, where is he at? All right, there he is. Okay, I'm going to give you guys some facts but they're actually gonna be real, unlike the stuff that DC spits out when he gets up here on the stage, okay? You guys can fact check me on this information. So the story of the candy cane, kiddos, I want you guys to listen, all right? There's gonna be some instructions. The story of the candy cane comes to us by a way of a guy who used to teach music, and he would give out candy canes to motivate the students. Eventually, they put a curve in the candy cane to represent a shepherd's staff, and if you flip it over, the J represents, I'm not sure which way that is, there we go, Jesus. There's a few other things that you should recognize as you hold your candy cane. Your candy cane is red and white, but it's also hard. What we understand are a few things. The candy canes are red because they actually represent Christ's blood that was shed to forgive us of our sins. The white actually represents what Christ does for us. When he cleanses us and forgives us of our sins, he makes us pure and white and innocent. In fact, The longer you suck on your candy cane, the more it's going to turn white, which is a picture of Christ. What he also does is takes our hearts that are made of stone that are hardened, and he gives us hearts that are made of flesh, which if you put two together, it makes the shape of a heart. So there's actually a rich Christmas story behind the candy cane. In fact, there's so much richness to the whole Christmas story. All around the world, people are singing hymns and songs about Jesus tonight. And so kiddos, here's what you can do. You can have your parents help you open up this end, and I'm going to make a deal with you guys, okay? If you can suck this down to a sharp point, slowly and carefully throughout this three-hour sermon, (laughs) throughout this short sermon, and bring it up to me or one of the elders at the end, it's got to be a sharp point, so you got to be careful and watch what you do, then we will give you guys a little Christmas gift, okay? So carefully, here's two more if anyone else needed one. I have two more. All right, kids are distracted. We're on borrowed time. Let me pray for us, but before I do that, I want to state the obvious. Christmas is a time for many people and families with so many mixed emotions. For some of you guys, you're getting to celebrate the first Christmas with a baby. 
and that represents new life and a ton of joy and laughter. For some of you this evening, you're celebrating Christmas for the first time with the loss of a loved one, which represents a ton of grief and sadness. Wherever you're at this evening, we're thankful that you're here. We're, we're thankful that you're visiting our church family. We're thankful that maybe you're part of our church family. But we recognize this, that we serve a God that knows pain and knows joy. Because our God didn't stay distant from his creation, but instead he stepped into his creation. So he knows pain, he knows loss, he knows joy, and he knows laughter. Because our God walked this earth. We can take a sense of joy and hope knowing this, that we serve a king who has walked this earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening, for Christmas Eve. Thank you for this time that we get to remember the greatest gift that's ever been given and that could ever be given in all eternity, the gift of your son, Jesus, the gift of you coming to rescue us. Let us hear that message tonight with fresh ears. Let it penetrate our hearts. Let us be drawn in to wonder at who you are, Jesus, and the kind of king that you are and what you've done to display it. Father, where we're misunderstood in our theology about you, correct us this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've spoken to us. Thank you for the gift that it is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter two. The main point is gonna be this, that there was nothing flashy this Christmas night. Talking about 2,000 years ago, there was nothing flashy this Christmas night. Let's read this. In those days, chapter two, verse one, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. There was nothing flashy 2000 years ago, but we have to recognize this. You have to do something with Jesus Christ. So if you're here this evening and you're a skeptic or someone just investigating the claims of Christianity, you do have to at least recognize this. He split time in half. We have BC and we have AD. So the world has been shifted by his presence coming to earth. What we also have to recognize is according to the world standard, there was nothing flashy. Other than the star in the sky and the glory that appeared to the angels, there was nothing flashy, so to speak, about this night. When I think of flashy, three things came to mind. First, the robust theological movie called Joe Dirt. Favorite movie of mine, which I'm sad to say, played by David Spade, and here's what we know about Joe Dirt. He's embarrassed of his last name. And so when he pulls into work, he tells the people that his last name is Dirte. 
And the guy responds, don't try and church it up, boy, it's dirt, because it's spelled D-I-R-T. And so it, it makes me think of that, that what he was trying to simply do is he was trying to make his name a little bit more flashy and church it up a little bit. The other thing that came to mind is if you watch wrestlers, if you watch fighters, if you watch boxers, anytime they come to the ring, what you don't see is you don't see them coming in silence. You see them coming out in a very theatrical way with loud music and lights, and sometimes they have people dancing alongside them. It's a big show. It's really flashy. The other thing that came to my mind in the time that I grew up in was in the, the time of Fast and Furious. Honda Civics, great car, and people did something to destroy them. They lowered them, put those body kits on them and the big mufflers to make them flashy, which they just made them hideous, right? And I'm not trying to be offensive if you drive one of those. I'm just saying you and I will never be friends. So that's it. So that's one of the things where I think I'm like, man, there was something good. And we try to make it flashy and better and it actually made it worse. Here's the cool thing. We don't have to do anything to try and church up, make the Christmas night more flashy. The reality is, is God defines what is glorious. God defines what is flashy. God is, defines what is radiant. And what's actually radiant and glory, glorious is God's presence here on the earth. And God defines what looks glorious, not the world itself. Because you, you would have to recognize this, that we would expect when a king comes, at the very minimum, kids, you guys have seen Lion King? And at the beginning, Simba is raised up, and then all the other animals are freaking out. So maybe you would expect something like this. Maybe you'd expect some trumpets or something like that. But you don't. You don't get any of that. You have a king who's born and he's laid in a manger. In fact, three times we are seen that Jesus was laid in a manger. There's nothing flashy about a manger. Mangers were watering troughs. In fact, they were made of stone. I think, boy, if I was the king in the universe who created all of humanity and everything, I would want my presence to be known when I showed up. Jesus comes in the still quiet of the night. No parades, no purple linen cloths to represent royalty. In fact, he's laid on a hard surface, which is symbolic. Did you know at the beginning of Jesus's life, he was laid on a hard surface. And at the end of his life, he was also going to be laid on another hard surface. In fact, the way Jesus came was representative of the way that he would die. He came not in comfort and he died definitely on a cross, which is hard and not comfortable. Why? To rescue humanity because we cannot rescue ourselves. But this also gives us hope. If you're in a difficult season right now, the fact that Jesus left his throne, which let's be honest, no king does that. In fact, people come to this earth to try to rise to a spot of kingship or some sort of glory and status. Jesus gave all that up. The richest person in all the universe became poor, was born in a manger. Why? For one purpose, to rescue the ones that he loves. It gives me hope to know this, that Christ know what it is to, he knows what it is to be vulnerable. I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with trust. I struggle with control. Christ gave all that up, took on being a baby, an infant. He had to be relying upon breast milk. He had to be relying upon having his diapers changed. He knows what it's like to feel out of control and to completely trust God in the darkest circumstances of your life. It also shows this, God is sovereign. He orchestrated all the details. In fact, there was a prophet called Micah who said this would come and the king, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. God worked everything, even through evil, horrendous, awful rulers, God brought about things just the way he said. God is in control of all details in life. Then we look at the lineage that we see in Matthew. There's definitely nothing flashy about that. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The lineage that Jesus comes from is something else. 
In fact, a lot of people don't even know what to do with it and why it's even in there. But if you look at it, you have to see this. There are five women mentioned in the lineage of Christ. Why is this symbolic? A lot of people think that somehow the, the New Testament authors or people shortly thereafter shifted and changed the Bible up so that it'd be more believable. If you were gonna make the Bible more credible, what you wouldn't do is put this lineage together because women were not credible sources in a patriarchal society. And it has five of them in there and they were outsiders. But then three of them were Gentiles, which were unclean to Jewish people. And in fact, one of them, whose name was Tamar, she came, or she had relationships. I'm, I'm gonna be winsome parents. She had relationships with her father-in-law. Rahab was a harlot. And then you have this story of David. And in fact, in Matthew chapter one, you don't have to turn there. It says this, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Why would it say that David was the father of Solomon by the wife of someone else's husband? It's a slap in the face to David. Anyone who knows the story of the Bible knows David beat Goliath, but his grandiose mess up was that he had relations with his best friend's wife and a kid came through that. Why is this important? Because God doesn't save based upon pedigree, based upon the lineage that you come from, based upon status quo that society deems worthy. God saves based upon grace. Look at the Israelites. They're the smallest of nations, as it tells us in Deuteronomy. They are not people to be praised because of their strength. They were the smallest. So wherever you're at and whatever's happened in your life or for your friends, remember this, that the lineage of Christ was not flashy. It was very broken and very messy because Christ comes from messy, broken people that recognize they cannot save themselves. That's good news for all of us. But look at the shepherds in, in chapter two of Luke. Look here with me. It says this in verse eight, in the, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. This is who the angels came to first. These people were outsiders. They were outside of the city, literally. That's where they were at. Shepherds were nomadic people. They were frowned upon. They were social outsiders. They were typically a little on the weird side. Nothing flashy about shepherds. Hard jobs, smelly people. And this is who God appears to through his angels. Why? Again, God is not coming after the flashy, the people of pedigree and all the people that the world would say. And I hear people say this all the time and it bumps me out. Oh man, I wish so-and-so would become a Christian. God is coming after those that recognize in and of themselves, they have not measured up to their own standard and definitely not God's. And they need the rescue of Jesus Christ himself. Nothing flashy about shepherds. What's awesome is Jesus takes this job that's not flashy and he makes it glorious. He becomes the chief shepherd. That's what Christ is in the business to do. Take things that are messy, flawed, and broken to make them glorious. Next we have, it's saying this in verse three. It says, and all them went up to be registered to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. Why is this significant? There's nothing flashy about Nazareth, where Jesus spent his life growing up as a carpenter. Do you realize there's nothing flashy about the first 30 years of Jesus's life? What do we know about him? We don't know much other than he grew up in Nazareth. What was he doing? He was living a non-flashy life of faithful obedience to God day in and day out. And I would say a lot of people are discontent in their jobs and in their workplace because we're not actually understanding what work is. God gives us work as a good gift for his glory. In fact, we're sent into the workplace to make disciples there. And I would say that people that are working for some other reason in some other fashion will constantly be discontent with the work they do. God shows up to shepherds. God shows up in a manger. God shows up 
And the town that he's raised in is a town that people would say, oh, Nazareth, next. What does all this mean? What does all this have to do with? It's this. Look here in verse 8. We'll read it and then wrap up. And in the same region, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You see, the world deemed how a king should show up and what a king should look like. In fact, this was the massive confusion around Christ. This isn't how a king should be born. It should look like this. It should be flashy. And certainly, this is not how a king should die on a cross. All of his followers wanted him to rise up to a position of authority to set up shop here on this earth to reign. And Jesus is like, that's not why I came. There was nothing flashy about my entrance, and there's definitely nothing flashy about my exit. But God does this. He takes what's hideous and awful in the sight of men. Because no one looked at the cross and goes, wow, that's amazing. And God says this, that's how I displayed my glory and power to the world. And we think of glory and we think of power. We think of what we can accomplish. God says this, let me redefine power. It's my son's life on the cross. Let me redefine glory. It's good news. It's me doing what you can't do and providing a savior to save you from the sins you can't save yourself from. You see, Christianity, please hear this. I'm going to have you guys repeat after me because if you don't understand anything else, I want you to understand this. Christianity is not a message of good advice. Christianity is a message of good news. Say this with me. Christianity, Christianity. is a message, a message of good news. This is really important. Here's why. It doesn't say the angels showed up with good advice. Here's how to live your life. Here's the 10 steps. Here's what you need to do. In fact, this is military language. Because if we went to war with another country, we would have military advisors. And if we were standing by waiting to hear the report, and they came back and said, hey, we've just been defeated. Gear up. Lock your doors. Protect your houses. Get ready. We're going to war. That would be a bunch of things for good advice. The message of the Bible from beginning to end isn't good advice. That's, that's the misunderstanding. It's a message of good news. The good news is this, not here's what you do, here's what you accomplish, and here's what you need to do. The message of the Bible is here's what Christ has done and what he's accomplished for you in your place. You see, it's good news that Christ was born in a manger. It's good news that Christ lived an obedient, faithful life to God that we cannot. It's good news that Christ went to the cross on our behalf to die the death we should die. It's good news that Christ rose from the grave and conquered death. And it's good news that he makes us new creations. It's good news that he's coming again. It's good news that you can't wiggle your way outside of the love and the arms of God when you've placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. It's news. Here's what you do with news. You hear it, you receive it, and you tell it. You hear it, you receive it, you tell it but you don't do something about it. The message of Christianity is not do, it's done. It's not try harder, it's trust in what Jesus Christ has done. The message of the Christmas night was nothing flashy, but God brought glory to himself by placing his son in a manger. Not flashy. God brought glory to himself by saving people that cannot save themselves. And in fact, you know what the church is? John 17 tells us this, 22. Ephesians 1.12 tells us this, that the church exists to show and display to the world the glory of God. That's why the church exists, to put on display God's love, God's grace in this story. 
The message of the Bible is not flashy, but it's beautiful and it's glorious because it's a work of grace. Here's the easiest way, parents and everyone else, you can understand grace. When you have a baby, like Jesus was born in a manger, what does your baby do for you? You guys can answer back right now. I don't mind. What's your baby do for you? Nothing. It gives you poopy diapers. That's about it. But you look over it and you're in awe of it with love. We have to understand the message of the Bible is one of grace. That God does everything. His saving, his finished work of his son, and his love comes at us, not based upon what we do, but based upon his grace, his decision, his choice, and his love. That's the message of Christianity. We're going to sing a few more songs as we wrap up this evening. And as we remember, 2,000 years ago, it wasn't flashy in the world's eyes. And it doesn't need to be. We don't need smoke machines, fog lights, anything else. The message of Christianity is beautiful and glorious because God defines what is flashy, radiant, and glorious. If you're someone that's put your trust and faith in Jesus, know this. You bear that same glory. You bear that same radiant beauty that Christ has because he gives it to you and it belongs to you. We celebrate this. God is the most generous giver ever. I might give you some things, but I would never give you my son. I would never give you my kids. God gave the most precious gift on Christmas, his son. Jesus gave the most precious gift, his life.